Hello, welcome once again to ABC Gotham. I am your host, Kathleen. With me is the attractive and eloquent Kate. Eloquent, I like that. Yeah. We are here to give you our fourth topic of our series. This is the letter D. What is our topic this week, Kate? Debunked. I'm so excited. Debunked, yes, yes, which is a fantastic idea. Thank you very much, Kate, for thinking it up. We went through a number of D topics. It took a while to, to settle on this one because there's just so much interesting stuff to talk we about. did, but I feel like we really have to come up with a genuine New York topic. And I'm, I'm actually really happy with this as a, a topic just in the strangeness of the debunked myths that we have come up with really can only be found, I think, in New York. It's true. It's true. There's a lot of strange, strange myths going on. And of course, the classic one. My favorite, alligators in the sewers, which everyone has heard of. Of course. Kathleen, did you hear of it before you moved here? Or was it once you moved here, you knew about it? I moved here for the alligators in the sewer. Oh, you did? Were you disappointed that there are no alligators in the sewers? What? 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 I just debunked that myth for you. I'm really sorry. Uh, Spoiler alert, folks. Spoilers. So the idea came about with this idea that New Yorkers were vacationing in Florida, I think in the 30s or so. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they were picking up these baby alligators, just being like, they're so cute. I'm going to bring them home. But mm-hmm. it's one and of my those... life will be so wonderful with a pet alligator in my life. I actually looked at pictures of baby alligators and was like, yes, I want one. <laughs> okay, that's good to know. <laughs> a little more understandable, honestly. <laughs> but it's one of those pets where they're super cute when they're babies, but you don't mm. want them when they grow up. The problem with gators is that they do grow up. And the myth goes that the gators grow up, they become bigger than and far more ferocious than I think the pet owners mm. think they will be. Uh-huh. And, of course, they flush them down the toilet. Well, what else do you do with a pet that's too big? With, you, with a pet alligator? Because they do. Well, the myth, of course, keeps going and says that some alligators survived and breed So they create these colonies of albino alligators that are apparently gigantic, Mm -hmm. eight feet long. I start, this is where I start to really question the myth because I kind of believe it up to this point, but if only in a generation, alligators living in darkness are creating, in one generation are starting to become albino, that I really, I have a hard time with this myth. That's that's a good question. I wouldn't have even thought to question. I, I think the first question in my mind when I heard this was, alligators are tropical. Um, You're right. So the facts are that it's actually too cold in the sewers. It's actually ah. technically freezing, below freezing in the sewers a majority of the year, like about Wait, nine really? Months. In the summer? Yeah. Well, the summer's the only time where it starts to warm up, but think of... Mm-hmm. These reservoirs of water, you know, several stories underground, they are much mm-hmm. colder. Think of how cold the Atlantic is. The Rock- Rockaway beaches in like August, it's still not warm. Mm-hmm. You're right. You're right. So these sewers are actually freezing cold most of the year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's a little too cold to survive, much less reproduce. 
Much less reproduced generations that breed albinism. Albinism. It's ooh, I hope that's the word for albino. It is. I took ooh. genetics. Nice. Um yeah. well beyond that, besides the cold, if the cold does not kill them, the pollution definitely oh, would. God. So I'm really sorry to let people know that there are not swarms of albino alligators in our sewers. I am heartbroken and crushed and moving back to Chicago. <gasps> no. Well, I will let you know to make you feel better that hmm? true parts of this myth is that an alligator was found oh. in 1935. Okay. An eight-foot-long alligator, by the way, at the bottom of an East Harlem manhole. Hmm. Uh, the idea at the time was that it maybe somehow slithered off a steamboat coming north from Louisiana. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, and you do have a book out book that comes out that talks about it's called the The World Beneath the City by Robert Daly, in which you have a man named Teddy May in the nineteen thirties talking about how he sees colonies of alligators and eradicates them, but he really it's so aggrandized, if that's the yeah. word I'm looking for. He it's impossible to prove what he's talking about. Yeah, yeah. But there have recently been actual sightings. However, they're not alligators, they're caimans. Which are, mm. it's the same family as the alligator, but they don't really get much bigger than two meters. They're pretty Maybe small. Maybe not much bigger than two meters. Six freaking feet? I'm scared of that thing. Oh, two meters. Yeah, two meters is the biggest, but the ones that found here were not that big. Mm, okay. And they're in the sewers, or they're just, like, they've been found? Well, the first one, famously in June of 2001, was a caiman that was found in Central Park. Mm. He was kind of spotted, picked up, captured, I'm sure returned to the zoo, where he probably mm. came from in the first place. I hope so, yeah. Of, mm. Then in November 2006, you have a two-foot-long, which is a little bigger, caiman mm. captured in Brooklyn. Mm. Another just like, really not that big, just this little thing. But people start, again, every time this happens, people start talking about alligators and the sewers, yeah. and this is where they're coming from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So then this isn't something that's like universally known to be debunked. I always figured that was, this is like the iconic urban legend. But no, there's people who still, you know, if this if this crops up, no, people Whenever a caiman appears, you know. Really, people then, still believe it. Whenever it pops up, mm, it's in the news. Alligators in the sewers. Mm. The most famous one, most the recent one, which is in August 2010, was it was about two feet long. It was an, a mm -hmm. caiman again, mm. caught uh, in Astoria. It was oh. hiding under a parked car near mm. a sewer, like opening. Oh, no. Hissing and snapping at people. So they caught it. I think they took it to the zoo. Mm -hmm. So, but really, and it was after some flooding and some rain. But mm -hmm. I really think some of this is that people just can't handle these pets. So the moral of the story is, everyone, don't take reptiles that can get this big into your home. Yeah, yeah. But I, there are no I would think that would sewers. be obvious, but apparently it's not, listeners. So don't bring reptiles like this into your home. Definitely don't. Well, Kathleen, what do you have for us in terms of debunked myths? 
Well, I have a couple of things that are not going to seem New York-y initially, but just bear with me. It will it will come to pass. And that is medieval scholars, scholars in the Middle Ages, thought the Earth was flat. So at the time no. of Columbus sailing, pretty much the belief about the planet was that it was flat and he was going to go off the edge. We'll get to that in a second. Another one, young George Washington cutting down the cherry tree. No, that's totally true. If you got this down, I cannot tell a lie, blah, blah, blah. I cut down the tree. And a lesson in honesty for all of American children. Neither of these are true. Really? These, neither. Yeah, neither one. These were both inventions by none other than New York resident Washington Irving. No, really? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Wow. Washington Irving. So this is the guy. He was born in New York City, but he lived in like Terrytown, Sleepy Hollow is what, what are really associated with him. He's buried there. You can visit his house. So for those of you who don't know, he's the author of The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. He wrote Rip Van Winkle. He wrote a lot, a lot of stuff. And he made up both the Flat Earth legend and the George Washington Cherry Tree legend. So among his many, many, many writings, he has written a five-volume biography of George Washington. That's what had the story about the cherry tree. He also wrote something called The Life and Voyages of Christopher Columbus. This is often mistaken for a scholarly work. It's not. It's not even close. It is a mix of fact and fiction. He just made shit up. And this is the source of, uh, as they say, the durable myth that medieval Europeans thought the world was flat. Not true. Ancient Greeks knew the world was round. Scholars in the Middle Ages knew the world was round. Modern scientists today largely agree that the world is round. They didn't know what was west. They didn't, they didn't know what was out there. It was a new world when Columbus discovered it. But they didn't think he was going off the edge. Nobody did. Really? They didn't believe in the edge of the world? That's amazing. Isn't that, isn't that weird? But just from observing, like, the planets and the sun rising and setting and the moon rising and setting, like, they figured it out in ancient Greek. He's a very smart man. I know, I know. He fooled me. And before we get off Washington Irving, I know these are not related to hoaxes, but they're so cool, I just have to say so. He invented Gotham. He gave us the term Gotham. The term Gotham? Really? I thought it just came from Batman. No, Batman got it from him. Wow. Yeah, it is an Anglo-Saxon word meaning goat's enclosure or goat's home, Gotham. And he's the one who first applied it to New York City and indirectly to this very podcast. He also invented the term knickerbockers. That was him. He thought of that term. And apparently, did you know this? Knickerbocker is a nickname for Manhattan residents in general. I didn't know that. I always think of knickerbocker when I think of Auntie Mame, which is... One of my favorite movies, she works at the Knickerbocker Bank at some point, and it's a really long joke. <laughs> okay. I mean, all I knew about Knickerbockers, it had to do with New York, and I imagine, like, kids in, in short pants, you know, selling newspapers or something. I don't know, but uh, apparently it's a term for Manhattan residents. That's according to the Oxford English Dictionary. I really admire him far more than I did when, before we started this podcast. Yeah, yeah. Until I found that information, I was I like Sleepy Hollow, whatever. But yeah, pretty cool. So sorry for that digression into 
Washington Irving stuff, but as long as we were talking about him, I wanted to to get that out. No, that was awesome. I really, I, I, I'm a little ashamed that I didn't know more about Washington Irving than I do know. I, I've actually been to Sleepy Hollow several times. You have? Yeah, and I've actually seen, I've actually been there on Halloween, and mm. there was this really creepy guy on a black horse mm. with a black cape on, and he did it so well that I could not tell that he was missing like he was missing a head, but it looked proportional, and mm. so it really looked like the headless horseman was once again riding through Sleepy Hollow. That's hilarious. That's awesome. All right, what do you have for us next? Well, I have the myth that I actually that's debunked, definitely scientifically debunked, that mm-hmm. I actually heard before I moved to New York, which mm-hmm. is the myth that if you drop a penny from the top mm. of the Empire State Building. Yes. And it lands on your head, it will kill you. Yes. Yes. It will sink four inches into your brain. Exactly. I've also heard that it will, you know, shatter or embed itself into concrete (laughs) and asphalt. That it's, you know, it's just, it's being dropped from such a height that Mm -hmm. nothing can, this, nothing can stand in this penny's way. Mm, And it gets up so much speed. It's just, it's just supersonic by the time it hits. You in your skull. It happened to a girl I knew. Oh, really? Totally. I think she lied to you because it has <laughs> been debunked by several people. Huh. So, when you think of a penny falling, you, it, it really it weighs a gram. Mm. And the problem with the penny is that it tumbles as it falls. It's not going to fall straight down like if you dropped a bullet. Mm, okay. Let's say, which does weigh more, but it's also not going to tumble. It's going to fall straight down. Mm-hmm. A penny is going to flip while it falls, and because of this tumbling and its lightweight, it never gains enough speed before it mm. reaches the terminal velocity, which terminal velocity, of course, is the maximum speed a falling object reaches, and it's determined by the weight and the air mm-hmm. resistance. Of the object, mm-hmm. it just, it, it's so, think of a penny, it's so small, it's so light, it just never reaches any point in which it could be dangerous. So it's like if you dropped a piece of paper off of the Empire State. Essentially, it's really mm-hmm. close. If you dropped like a roll of pennies, it would definitely kill somebody. But a oh, penny that alone? Hurt. Oh, it, Well, they, everyone who said, who tested this myth said mm-hmm. that a penny would definitely hurt. It wouldn't hurt much, but it would hurt. Mm-hmm. But it it de- just definitely wouldn't kill you. My favorite is I you I love the show Mythbusters. Mythbusters. And if Jamie and Adam are listening to this, and I can't imagine why they would, but I really <laughs> love your show since it's been on the air. We're big fans. Huge fans. <laughs> they took a penny and made it reach its terminal velocity, which is about uh, sixty-five miles an hour. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they aim it at a ballistics head. Um, mm-hmm. Well, a head made of ballistics gel with a skull. Uh, concrete, asphalt, and none of these. Could they even get, even ballistics gel, they could not get a penny to penetrate. Really? Yeah, even with a rifle, they actually even got to supersonic speed, and they could <laughs> not get a penny to create any really fatal damage to a person. They're not saying it won't hurt. Mm-hmm. But it's it's really not going to kill you. So not only is it not going to kill you, but 
You couldn't make it kill someone from the top of the Empire State Building if you tried really hard. Even if you shot somebody with a rifle, with a penny, just a penny, it would not be enough. That's hilarious. There's Their problems they came up with is the updrafts, because mm-hmm. New York is a windy city. Definitely. Not the windy city, but a windy city. It is a windy city. The updrafts and the roofs on the lower floors make it nearly impossible for it even to hit the ground to begin with. So it, like, blows around up there forever? Like like a lovely small copper kite? No, it definitely hits the ground, but it doesn't... Oh, okay. It just, it's, if you, if you can get past all the balconies and mm-hmm. outcroppings on the building, even... And all I, the other I, buildings around it, yeah. Exactly. If it, if it hits the ground, if it makes it all the way to the ground, it's really mm-hmm. just not going to do any damage. So, Kathleen, what do you have for us next? What do I have next? Ah, okay. So, a common myth. Totally not true. The staff at Ellis Island. Changing immigrants' names. No, they totally did that. Never, ever happened. Not once. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. Here's the story. So this is all from genealogy.com. What you can do to, to see if this happened or not, you can look at the facts of U.S. immigration procedures at Ellis Island. So officials there, when they were checking in people and registering them or whatever it was they did, they worked off of passenger lists, and these passenger lists had been created by the ship's captain, and these were created before the ship even departed the home country. So it's possible that the names were misspelled, but probably not by Ellis Island. Well, 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 hear this, though. So immigrants wouldn't get through at Ellis Island unless they had proper documentation. So they were very careful to get it right. And the shipping companies were very careful to get it right because if an immigrant didn't get through Ellis Island, they had to go back to the home country. They had to sail back at the shipping company's expense. So for that reason, the shipping company definitely wanted that information right. And the immigrants had to back it up with their own other personal documents. They definitely wanted to get it right because they sure as hell didn't want to do that trip again. Well, what about the stories of all the people who say that their names were changed or that their well, families' names I'll get did to that differ. one one second. Just So just, you know, that moment that we see in movies, Godfather 2 in particular, with the Ellis Island inspectors meeting with the person and, you know, they, they look all foreign and they're speaking a language that's, you know, this person doesn't speak, and, well, of course there must have been mix-ups or something. No, this is so cool. Listen, Ellis Island inspectors were not allowed to change identifying information for any immigrant unless it was requested by the immigrant. The neat thing about these inspectors is they were usually foreign-born immigrants themselves, and they spoke several languages. In addition to that, there were other translators on call, even for the most obscure dialects. Well, that's so communication amazing. problems were not a thing. That was not a thing. And if you think about it, whoever managed Ellis Island, like, yeah, you better have translators on hand because you're you're going to have a, a hell of a nightmare to deal with if you don't. And they had so many languages. And if you visit New York or you live in New York, 
and you can visit Ellis Island. I highly recommend it. It's it's very cool. Even just the part where they talk about how many translators they had. So yeah, so no communication problems. Everyone, you know, your language was here. Someone speaks your language. So okay, you ask a really good question, Kate. What about people who did change their names? So obviously, immigrant surnames changed in the U.S. That happened. Many people voluntarily changed their name because they wanted to assimilate better. In a lot of cases, other, you know, official people did made changes. They mentioned school teachers and clerks. I imagine there were plenty of doctors, librarians. I don't know. You know, probably plenty of people who changed the names. A lot of times they could have changed the names because they couldn't spell it or they couldn't pronounce it. So no one's saying that names didn't change, but not a single name was changed at Ellis Island, which I think is so, so freaking cool. That's amazing. I I really have put so much stock in that myth through the years that <laughs> thank you for debunking that for me. You're welcome. And now we can no longer use that as an excuse. Mm-hmm. I, I hereby send a retroactive apology to all of the now dead and gone staffers of Ellis Island who I even thought for a second did their jobs in less than a fully professional way. I apologize. Wow. And I would put a shout out for Open House New York does do a tour of the south side of Ellis Island, which is a really rarely seen side. It's hard to get a tour, mm -hmm. but if you can do it, I really recommend it. It's Did you do it? No, but I, oh, okay. I had a friend <laughs> that I, no, I'm really, I'd like to put this out there that I didn't do it, but I had a coworker who did it. I see. And I've seen pictures and it just looks, it's amazing. You just get to hear a bit more of the history of Ellis Island. Cool. Which south we side. may cover yeah. in a later podcast. We just might. Well, I have a very short debunked myth. All right, let's hear it. About the New York Yankees. Ah, yes. Everyone knows, or most people know, that the New York Yankees uniform is a pinstripe uniform. Mm -hmm. And the myth is that it was converted to pinstripes to make their star player Babe Ruth look slimmer. Hmm. Because he's not really in the best of shape. I mean, I think That's of a lot small. of baseball players of having to, you know, modern day where they run and, mm -hmm. you know, they're in really good shape. But he was a hitter, so he would really just try to hit him as far as he could so he didn't have to run. Mm -hmm. Apparently, this monk. This is a really easily debunked myth in that the pinstripes, the Yankees wore them when Babe Ruth was still with the Red Sox. So, <laughs> Well, do you have another uh, debunked myth for us, Kathleen? Let's see. I have a couple more. Ah, Cleopatra's Needle. Oh, in Central Park. In Central Park. Very good. Yes. So Cleopatra's Needle, for those of you who don't know, is an obelisk. It's red granite. It's tr inscribed with hieroglyphics, and it is a genuine ancient Egyptian obelisk. It was a gift from Egypt to the United States. It is, what, over 3,000 years old. It's, it's, it's very cool. Go see it if you can. Where is it in Central Park? Is it toward the north? It's behind the Metropolitan Museum, I believe. So if and when you are in Central Park, then you should take a look for it. If you go to Wikipedia, they have the hieroglyphics translated into English. But here's the thing. It should not be called Cleopatra's Needle. It has no particular connection to Queen Cleopatra VII. 
She's the one we know, Cleopatra. No connection to her at all. Nothing to do with her. It except really? for the fact that it's Egyptian. Yeah. Why was it called Cleopatra's Needle? Because we're Americans and we do things like that. But it was already about a thousand years old by the time she got on the scene. Is it because we, um, as Americans, I, I, I do know that we, well, at least I do, we love our stories of Cleopatra. And she's really one of the really famous figures in Egyptian ancient history. Is that mm -hmm. why we named it? It's been named Cleopatra. That makes Needle? sense to me. I mean, because we kind of consider Cleopatra the equivalent of Egypt. You know, we think of Cleopatra, King Tut, pyramids. So... You know, they might have tried to call it the Egyptian obelisk, and people just went with calling it Cleopatra's obelisk, or Cleopatra's needle. But it is not hers at all. It is ours! It is ours, but Kate, Kate. It's ours? Maybe not for long. <gasps> what? Is it leaving? Here's the deal. Okay, so it is red granite. It was a gift. Uh, it arrived in 1880. Uh, Vanderbilt himself funded the transportation of the obelisk. If you go to visit it, you'll see that the surface is very weathered. It's pitted. That's funny because the stone, this granite, stood in clear, dry Egyptian desert air for nearly 3,000 years. Very little weathering. Right. Just over a century in New York City, it is now pitted from pollution and acid rain. Oh, we've so totally ruined it. It's almost unreadable at this point. Yeah, or parts of it are almost unreadable. And in 2010, officials from Egypt, the, uh, the world's leading Egyptologists, sent a letter to Mayor Bloomberg and to the president of the Central Park Conservancy. And they said, if you can't take care of the obelisk, we're taking it back. I think they should. There was so much work. that There's so much history and work that was taken out of Egypt without mm -hmm. really Egyptians knowing. I'd say return it. I... Yeah. I had a big fight with a friend recently about the Rosetta Stone and various really famous works that should be in Egypt, mm -hmm. but in Egypt, not Egypt, it's not plural, um, that I just, I really think just return it. I, it shouldn't be here. It's, it's part of their history. We would mm -hmm. be really sad if there were things that we had part of our history that were taken and shown in other countries, I say return it. It's true if if something is taken from another country, that's definitely something to consider. This was actually a gift, though. Um, you know, it wasn't, not even like a, a sneaky, oh, look, we have it now, thanks for the gift kind of thing. I mean, this was actually, there's actually obelisks in London and Paris as well. There's one in Paris, and right. This just the same sort of thing. It's like a gesture of friendship. Um so it's it's ours, but I mean they're absolutely right. If it's going to get destroyed, and they didn't really anticipate that, they should. I mean they could even still say it's quote unquote ours, but we're going to keep it somewhere where it's not going to freaking melt in the rain. That seems perfectly fair to me. Yeah. Well, what else do you have for us, Kate? Well, for the next, it's debunked to an extent. I feel like we can't talk about myths and the in New York. Without talking about, and I hate to use the term, but mole people. Mole people. Is mole people a politically incorrect term? 
Uh, I think so. I'm going to say it's a terrible term, and I will really? use it even though... I mean, as, as a synonym for homeless people, definitely, but... Okay, well, I'll let you talk now. Well, definitely. I mean, the myth, of course, is these people that live underground and that they've been underground so long that their eyes, because they have to open their eyes wider to mm. get more and more light in, that their eyes become very... They become bulged. Uh, they look like moles. And that, of course, because they live in dark all the time, mm. much like moles, they become blind over time. It's it's a lot like the Morlock tales, mm. which is from The Time Machine by H.G. Wells. Okay. You know, these mm. people that live below the earth and have an entirely separate community mm. from what's going on above. Of oh, is course, that, that was the community where they would grab one of the the surface dwellers and eat them, right? Yeah, exactly. And that yeah. kind of goes into the story of these mole people below New York in that they hate supposedly surface people so much that they will not only kill surface people on site, but eat them as well. Kill on site and eat. And this is in the subways or this is just overall underground? This is in the subways. Supposedly okay. there are all these underground unused tunnels, subway mm -hmm. unused subway tunnels, which... Of course, are and everyone's fascinated by, and there are amazing websites that can, you can see pictures of unused subways on, and we've talked about it a bit, um, especially with the Atlantic Avenue Tunnel. Definitely. But, yeah, they're just all these underground tunnels that nobody apparently knows where they go. The legend is that there are no maps to tell you mm. anything, to let you know what's down there. Mm-hmm. So, the first book that really canonizes this idea is mm -hmm. Life in the Tunnels Beneath New York City by Jennifer Toth. And I don't really mean to tear her down, but everything I found online really debunks everything she says. Now, was it, now maybe we have another Washington Irving situation. Was it not even intended to be factual? No, it's supposed to be a factual telling wow. of her going underground, supposedly. Okay. She says it's a true account of her travels in the tunnels mm -hmm. and meeting all these people who live below ground. She talks about how people who live these, she met all these people who live underground who are, who have these societies and they group mm -hmm. together and they get into old abandoned rooms and abandoned tunnels and mm. they tap into it's the myth where they you know tap into the electrical and the sewer system and the water mm -hmm. system and have amazing living situations underground for people who would normally otherwise be homeless mm -hmm, mm -hmm. now are they amazing living situations or are they cleverly engineered and better than the street but still crummy well she talks about like gothic archways and just mm. her descriptions are very sumptuous where mm -hmm. no i would prefer to live above ground and have light and have sun and warmth but just the way you read these descriptions are just kind of you just you really want to see them like they just yeah. sound so amazing that you can it just it sounds like a great place, honestly, that I would want to live for a bit of time if I well, got the I'm right sure wrench. the photographs must have been stunning in that book. Well, she didn't get any photographs. Interesting. Why do you think that might be? Well, apparently her geographical locations were mostly inaccurate. Okay. 
she had numerous factual errors, mm-hmm. unidentifiable claims. Mm-hmm. Just there's no way to back up anything that she said about mm. what went on in the tunnel. There was even a person who had lived below ground mm-hmm. in the subway mm-hmm. tunnels for a while mm-hmm. who said that it was not at all like what this woman wrote. However, even if you haven't read this book or heard of it, just the way she portrayed the homeless people that were living down there is really influences what people think of in terms of people who live below ground, homeless Hmm. who go below ground. You think of these communities who scavenge for food and live Mm -hmm. together and get free electricity. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's, it's exactly what I think of when I think of mole people. Yeah. Yeah. And apparently this is, it goes, lots of cities around the world have this myth. It's, Sadly, not a New York construction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I hate to bring this up for debunked mm-hmm. in terms of there are people who live below ground. There are people who live in the subway tunnels. Mm-hmm. There are lots of homeless who flee underground to stay mm-hmm. warm in the winter. However, there is not this community of people who feed off of the city and kill people and eat them. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so what, what else do you have for us, Kate? All right, well, for our last debunked myth, I have the blackout babies. Uh-huh. So, of course, in 1965, everyone knows, well, I hope most people know about the big blackout that happened on the, you know, East Coast. Uh-huh. There's about 30 million people over 80,000 miles, you know, Ontario, Canada, Connecticut, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, Vermont, New, New York, New Jersey, all without power. Uh-huh. Just completely shut off. So is this bigger or about the same as our as the one we had in what, two thousand four? I don't even remember. I think it's about the same. I mean, about I think the there same. are more people now. Yeah. So it became a bigger thing, but mm-hmm. in sixty five it's it's not as many people, but it's it's still huge in terms of a blackout. Sure, sure. And probably the biggest they'd had ever at that point. So, yeah. I think at, at that point, it was the biggest ever. Now, the, the myth, of course, is that nine months after the blackout, birth rates mm. skyrocket because, of mm-hmm. course, what else are people going to do during a blackout? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's totally dark. We have nothing to do. Can't watch TV. We can't watch TV. Let's have sex. Unprotected mm-hmm. sex. Right. Because you need electricity for condoms. I know. Well, it's not powered up. Why bother? So nine months later, I think it's the idea that the world is ending. Ah. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. The myth is that nine months later, there was, you know, the birth rate skyrockets. Mm-hmm. It's not at all true. Not at all? Not even a blip? No. It's statistically, it everything was normal. Mm-hmm. There was, you know... Maybe a slight climb, but it's because population was just climbing in general. Mm. There was nothing outside the normal. Well, Kathleen, what do you have left for us? At All the right. End? So even though this is officially the debunked episode of ABC Gotham, I have something so important to tell the world. Something that is not debunked has, in fact, been bunked. A term I'm just going to invent. So that means it's true. And everyone true. needs to know it. So this is something that is like a rumor. That's not true. Yes, it is. No, it's not. It's really not. Here is the truth. It is true. I am bunking this myth. And that myth is quotas 
for tickets. Oh, I know this is a uh, near and dear to your heart. <laughs> I guess it is. Well, this is for all tickets. This is all citations, all anything. For those of you who don't know, New York City cops write plenty of tickets and citations and arrests and blah, blah. And there's a rumor floating around that they have quotas, that they're not writing these tickets as they see potential problems. They're writing them because they have to write a set number of tickets, regardless mm -hmm. of how law-abiding their, their beat is. So they, they just have to get their numbers in. And for years, this was denied by the uh, NYPD. And can you blame them? I would deny that too. It really doesn't look good. It's, it's almost the opposite of law enforcement. This came out, this was an ABC News story, March 3rd, 2010, about whether or not there is a quota. So a cop has made some audio recordings by officers one audio recording provided by Bronx officer Adil Polanco features one officer lecturing his rank and file officers during roll call at the 41st precinct. You got to get these up. You got to you got to get your numbers up. Their goal at the time of this audio recording was one arrest and 20 summonses a month. You're 20 and wow. one. You're 20 and one is how they refer to it. And he said, if you don't get your 20 and one, they're just going to step up the pressure. You'll be 25 and one. You'll be 35 and one. This officer who uh, provided the audio recording says. If a cop doesn't make their goal, they are reassigned to different shifts or relocated far from home. Wow. And here's, here's the, big, the big thing. They, ABC News, talked to NYPD and asked them. So Deputy Commissioner Paul Brown of the NYPD said, Police officers, like others who receive compensation, are provided productivity goals and they are expected to work. Oh, my God. They oh totally do God. it. They do it. They oh. do it. There are quotas out there. It does seem to me, as proved conclusively, that the NYPD does, in fact, have quotas. Well, good luck to all of our listeners out there with their cars or mopeds or... Or walking Best around on the street. Or, yeah, yeah. or walking on the street. Now I'm worried I'm going to get a jaywalking ticket. Well, stop jaywalking so much, Kate. I can't help it. It's New York. Yeah, and it's so addictive. Well, thanks, everyone. That is the letter D. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast. Hope you learned something you didn't know. Kate, any final words? Don't jaywalk. It's, you're gonna, apparently, you're going to get a ticket. Also, according to our last podcast, cover your mouth. Yes, cover your mouth and don't spit. And wash your hands <laughs> so you don't pass along typhus or cholera. And since that podcast has come out, I am proud to say no reported cases of typhus in the city. Zero. Yeah, I've noticed that. I think, I think we're really making a big difference. <laughs> well, we'll see you next time. And, Talk uh, to you next time. Bye. Bye. For more ABC Gotham, go to our website, abcgotham.podbean.com. Special thanks to Podcasting's Brock. The music for ABC Gotham is by Big Rude Jake. ABC Gotham is a K2 production, copyright 2012, all rights reserved.
would be here with me on this night of New York City.